What's up, everybody? Welcome back to the 10 After 7 podcast with your host, Michael Cody Stevenson. Today, we're going NBA heavy. There's some good stuff going on in the NBA playoffs, specifically the second round in the Western Conference. It's getting a little bit chippy. Then we're going to talk about some Major League Baseball. We're going to go over the leaders in some important categories. Who's leading the league in batting average? What pitchers dominate and what pitchers leading the league in ERA strikeouts? We got to find out, especially if you play fantasy. Maybe there's some sneaky guys if they're at the top of the leaderboard. You probably don't have a chance to get them, but you could trade for them. But I'm just interested in the stat leaders across baseball, so let's look at that. Then we'll update the standings. We'll talk about Clayton Kershaw's historic night at Dodger Stadium. I knew it was going to happen. But the man, two curtain calls. I love it. And then the NHL playoffs. I'm losing every bet, but the Kings are back taking on the Edmonton Oilers, and that's been fun. One game one. That's all you got to do, though. Still home, still home ice advantage. Is that what they call it in hockey? I don't know. Home ice, home court, who knows? But NHL hockey's different. It's different come playoff time. But let's start with the NBA playoffs. Let's start with the Phoenix Suns, the odds-on favorites to be NBA champions, and they continue to be a wagon. They have a 2-0 series lead against the Dallas Mavericks, and if you came into this series thinking the Dallas Mavericks have a shot, I'm here to tell you, they don't. And if you want to throw at me that the series doesn't begin until the home team loses, the hell with it. The Dallas Mavericks are down and out. They're losing 2-0 in this series, and Luka Doncic is doing everything. But can you help the man out? In game one, the guy goes for 45 points, 12 rebounds, 8 assists. They're shooting over 40% from three-point range. The game appears to be close, but if you watched any of it, the Suns routed the Dallas Mavericks, and Dallas had no shot whatsoever. They didn't have a shot because you talk about a guy named Jalen Brunson, the point guard, who everyone... In the first round series against the Jazz, said this guy's going to get paid. He could be a starter across the league, point guard. Well, he's losing money by each game in this series. Because you need another ball handler in Dallas that could take the ball out of Luka's hands. Because Luka can't do it all. He just can't. And Brunson in game one, 6 for 16, 13 points. Spencer Dinwiddie, who they traded for to help out your man Luka. Three for eight, eight points. Somehow they kept it within 10 points, but there was no stopping the Phoenix Suns. DeAndre Ayton was the story in that game. 12 of 20, 25 points, led the team in scoring. Then you had Booker, not a great game, 7 of 20, 23 points. And then you have Chris Paul. And Chris Paul, I have a love-hate relationship with Chris Paul. If you know basketball, you know this guy's a top five point guard in the history of the game. He's the last traditional point guard we have left. You could watch him through the first three quarters and not not think much about him. He goes about his business, gets his teammates involved, doesn't really take a lot of shots through the first three quarters, but when the fourth quarter comes around, Chris Paul is there to put the dagger. He's there to put the nail in the coffin, and he's doing it throughout these entire playoffs. 
The guy's averaging most of his points in the fourth quarter. I think it's 10.2 per fourth quarter in this entire playoffs. But in game one, he finishes 7 of 13, 19 points. Final score, 114 to 121. It was a routing, though. Don't get it twisted. And Phoenix shot over 50% from the field once again. And they're getting help across the board. You got Bridges in double figures. You got Jay Crowder in double figures. Cam Johnson had a 17 in game one. JaVel McGee. How many rings he got? He was even doing some things. Then you go to game two in Phoenix. This game was a little, this game was actually closer. Dallas finally took its first lead. They led 60 to 58 at halftime. Luca and the boys were rolling. Luca finishes 13 of 22, 35 points. They're only down six going into the fourth quarter. And then Chris Paul arrives. 14 of his 28 points come in the fourth quarter. Phoenix shot 84% in the entire fourth quarter. Devin Booker got hot. DeAndre Ayton only nine points in this game. But Booker led the team with 30 points, 11 of 19. But Chris Paul's fourth quarter, and they were attacking Luka. Luka does it all on the offensive end. On the defensive end, the Phoenix Suns just started to pick on him. He got caught in the pick and roll a couple of different times with Chris Paul. Chris Paul, 15 to 18 feet automatic, except the one time I bet on him on a prop bet that he'll make his next shot right outside the free throw line. Takes that jumper, rims in and out. I'll never forget it. That's why I got a love-hate relationship with the guy. But even through this fourth quarter, he's still being the rat that he always is. He drew a foul on Jalen Brunson, and it was just, it was a flop. It was a flop, and those are the little things that piss me off about Chris Paul, but you can't deny. When this guy's healthy, the Phoenix Suns should still be and are the odds-on favorites to win the NBA title. They win game two, 129 to 109, and they go eight games into these playoffs. They've played eight games, and they've shot over 50% in every single one of them. You're not going to beat them. You're not going to beat him. Right now, the wagon continues. That is the Phoenix Suns. We move on to the other Western Conference series. Memphis Grizzlies and the Golden State Warriors. I got my hand up right now. I did not know the Memphis Grizzlies had home court advantage in this series. That's how good of a season they had. We know they're led by Ja Morant and man. If you didn't know about John Moran, if you're a casual NBA watcher, now you know who John Moran is. And you probably heard of him going into that draft a couple of years. And in game one, Jordan Poole. We already knew about the Splash Brothers that the Golden State Warriors had, Klay Thompson, Steph Curry, but now Jordan Poole coming off the bench doing work. 31 points, 12 of 20 from the field. Steph Curry, not a typical Steph Curry game. He goes 8 of 20, 24 points. And Klay Thompson, we know the injuries he's coming off of. Torn Achilles, the torn ACL. He hasn't played ball in a while. And he looks different. And not in a good way. Yes, he did make a clutch three-pointer at the end of game one to seal the deal for the Warriors after missing two crucial free throws. And if you see any NBA player miss two free throws in a row, That's a problem. And you rarely see it. 
And to see it out of Klay Thompson, that's not great. But the Warriors squeaked by, beat the Memphis Grizzlies in game one. Morant in that game, 34 points, 14 of 13 from the field. But Jaron Jackson Jr., the big man underneath, goes for 33 on 10 of 18 shooting. When your two guys go off like that, you got to win it. The Grizzlies couldn't get it done. And they shot a better three-point percentage from the field than the Warriors. 40% to 36.8 for the Warriors. And then game two rolls around, and that is when I had to possibly admit that I was wrong. And it actually isn't that I was wrong. In sports, it's tough. Especially when you're talking with friends. Everyone had to pick a side. You have to pick sides in sports. That's what makes it great. So yes, I was on the Zion Williamson bandwagon. Of course I was. I'm a Duke fan. He was incredible every single game that year for Duke. And I thought, you know what? This guy's ceiling. NBA Hall of Famer. But even his floor, he could be an NBA Hall of Famer. John Morant took off at Murray State. Had a great NCAA tournament. Yes, he's a point guard. In the direction the league's going, these guards are getting better better every year, it seems. But I just put my foot down and I said, I'm a Zion guy. How can you not be? But that doesn't mean I'm not a jaw guy. But I had to pick a side. So when Jaw Morant goes off in game two for 47 points, his playoff career high. That's when I had to text the group chat. And say, you know what, guys? Am I selling my Zion stock today? Did John Morant finally make me sell my Zion stock? I'm going to hold on to my Zion stock. He's dealt with injuries. He doesn't look too healthy. He looks 100 pounds overweight. But I'm going to hold. But that game by John Morant was incredible. Last five minutes, outstanding. This guy driving to his left every time. Every time he leaves his feet, it seems like he's floating in the air. Left hand, right hand, he's doing it all. I think Jim Jackson on the broadcast said, Jordan Poole, good thing he's wearing tights underneath the shorts because he just got shook by John Morant. And they were giving him the three-point three point line. They were playing off of him saying, hey, take the three-point shot because that's the weak spot of your game. But John Morant delivered. I think he's already got nine made threes in this series. He only had four in the first round matchup with the Minnesota Timberwolves. But the Grizzlies end up winning 106 to 101. And John Morant doing it by himself. Because Jaron Jackson Jr. didn't follow up in game two after his game one performance. He ended up three of 14 from the field, 12 points. But Zaire Williams, the young kid that played on Bronny James's high school team. Went to Stanford for a year. We kind of forgot about him. He stepped up for the Grizzlies. Four of eight from behind the arc. 14 points. So this series is tied 1-1, and I love it. You know why? Because it's getting chippy. Not even five minutes into this game. Gary Payton II, who's kind of finally latched, latched onto a team. I think he's six years into the league. He was in the G League. The Warriors got him. He goes up for a breakaway layup in the first quarter. And Dylan Brooks comes from behind and smacks him. Smacks him. Dirty play. 
We could argue intent. I don't think he intended to hurt him. But if you're going not for the ball and a guy leaves his feet, absolutely a dirty play. Steve Kerr even said it in the moment at the end of the first quarter when they interviewed him. They asked him, hey, this game's getting kind of physical. He said, no, it's not. That's not physical. That was straight up dirty. And the NBA handed out a suspension to Dylan Brooks. So this series will continue on Saturday. And Golden State in game two, we'll go over their numbers. Curry, 11 of 25, 27 points. Poole goes 8 of 16, 20 points. Klay Thompson again. It's sad to see this man shoot. One of the all-time great shooters in NBA history. 5 of 19 from the field, 12 points. So many misses down the stretch for Klay Thompson. Have you ever seen Golden State shoot 18% from the three-point range? No. We have not. So this series, I think it could go seven. I don't know if I'm leaning Golden State or Memphis. Can you imagine if John Morant in just his second year, I think he was most improved, which is kind of crazy that a lottery pick was most improved player of the year. But if he could take his team to the conference finals, that'll be something. Or can Steph Curry and the Warriors get back to the top of the NBA where they once stood? Only time will tell, but that series has Chippy written all over it. We move on to the Celtics versus Bucks series. It's been a series of blowouts to the first two games. Game one, the Bucks blew the Celtics out. 101-89 win. Drew Holiday had the big game in game one. Eight of 20 from the field, 25 points. Giannis goes 24, 13, and 12. And this series is going to be who could stop whose stars. Because the Celtics in game one, Tatum, who can't be a number one guy on an NBA championship team. Devin Rawl, I'm talking to you. You're going to have to go ginger if the Celtics win it all with Jason Tatum as their number one guy. But Tatum was shut down in game one. 21 points. Jalen Brown, 4 of 13 for only 12 points. So the Bucs had the advantage in that one. They shut down the two Celtics stars. In game two, the Celtics without Marcus Smart, the defensive player of the year. But team defense speaks volumes. The Celtics delivered the blow in game two, a 109-86 victory. Brown and Tatum combined for 59 points. Tatum, 10 of 20, 5 of 10 from behind the three, 29 points. Brown, 11 of 18, 6 of 10 behind the three, 30 points. They shot 46.5% from the three-point land, 47.5% from the field. And Giannis in that game still goes 28 points, 9 rebounds, 7 assists. Holiday, 7 of 20, 19 points. Didn't get help anywhere else. Grayson Allen didn't have a good game. Pat Connaughton, Brooke Lopez, only two points. And the Bucks that day, 16.7% from behind the arc. The Celtics team defense without Marcus Smart. It was Grant Williams taking the task of shutting down Giannis Antetokounmpo. And he did just that. That series is tied 1-1. And then the final series, we have the Heat taking on the Sixers. Joel Embiid is out. 
That's his latest status as the series moves to Philly. Heater up 2-0. Bam Adebayo leading the Heat in scoring 23.5 points per game. Maxi for Philly, 26.5 points per game. Tobias Harris, 24 points per game. That's where the scoring's coming from, from Philly. And you know what? They traded for a guy named James Harden. Who's got an MVP on his resume. One of the all-time great scorers that the NBA has seen. He's only averaging 18 points per game. And you know what? He's only taking 14 shots. You would think James Harden would have a competitive edge to him. He wanted out of Brooklyn. He wanted out of Houston. He wants to be the guy. But when his team's missing their star, Joel Embiid, probably a finished runner-up in the MVP, you would think James Harden saying, hey, this is me. I'm going to take it upon myself to make this a series and take us to the Eastern Conference Finals. And that just hasn't happened. He hasn't looked the same in months. Is he not locked in? We've seen him not locked in in the playoffs before. My dog's going crazy right now. Finally, he just sat down. So excuse the barking. This podcast is brought to you by a whole lot of barking by Hudson. The old pup. The old good boy. But the Heat lead 2-0 in that series. And if Joel Embiid doesn't come back, he's already got a messed up hand. I think he's in concussion protocol. That's why he's missed the last couple of games. I don't know because I haven't watched a minute of this series. And the Heat are without their point guard, Kyle Lowry. But they're making things look easy over there. And he'd only just a couple of couple of years removed from making an NBA championship in the bubble. But that's what we got from the NBA playoffs. And if I could tell you to watch one series, it's probably Golden State and Memphis, because that could go seven. You should probably tune in to watch the Phoenix Suns play basketball, because it's a beautiful brand of it. And the Celtics and Bucks, it's going to be good. Because Giannis, he's going to get double teamed. He's going to try to find his way around it. He's probably the best player in the entire league right now. But when Jason Tatum and those boys are rolling, the Celtics are a complete team. And the Bucs are doing it without Chris Middleton, their number two guy. Let's move on to Major League Baseball. First, let's shout out the GOAT, number 22 Clayton Kershaw becomes the all-time strikeouts leader in Dodgers history. Passes Don Sutton, and I knew it was going to be a moment. And when I was at dinner on Saturday night for a bachelor party, hell of a time. I had to pull that phone out and watch history be made. And it happened exactly like I knew it was going to happen. Clayton Kershaw was one strikeout away from passing Don Sutton and every single person in the stadium was on their feet, cameras out. They wanted to capture the moment. And Clayton Kershaw throws a nasty breaking ball, strikes out the rookie Spencer Torkelson. The crowd goes nuts. Nuts. They show his family in the stands. His kids are jumping up and down all around the stadium. It says 2,697 on the big board. It's flashing. Franchise leader in strikeouts. Clayton Kershaw tips his hat to the crowd. He appreciates the moment. But the crowd won't sit down. 
which is how it should have been. They don't sit down. No, they're still going crazy in the moment. So Clayton Kershaw's got to step off the mound again and tip his cap to the Dodger faithful. I know a couple people that were at the game, they showed me videos. It was awesome, but you know what? I took my phone out at dinner. There's certain times when you got to do it, and that was a moment. My guy, my favorite athlete of all time, makes history. And Dodger history is something special. I mean, it goes years and years back. And to Clayton Kershaw to sit on top as the all-time strikeouts leader, it's terrific. And I can't picture him in another uniform, and I don't even want to think about it. But I was talking to my brother right after that moment. I said, man, can you imagine years from now? We went to the Jackie Robinson statue unveiling, and that was awesome. Took a picture by it. But Clayton Kershaw statue? We're going to be there for that. We're going to be there for that one. Then we talked about what a statue is going to look like. Is it going to be his iconic hands above the head from the stretch? And my brother said, no, it's not going to be that. It's going to be him in his pitching motion. I said, yeah, you're probably right. But whatever it is, that statue, I'm going to be there when that happens. I have to be because I miss this moment. But let's go over MLB stat leaders. Let's start with the ERA. Who are the top dogs in pitching around the league? At the top of the ERA board, you got Logan Gilbert, the young kid for the Seattle Mariners. 0. .64, 4-0 record. Dealing. Right behind him, you have Merrill Kelly for the Arizona Diamondbacks. I talked a lot of shit on the D-backs, but they seem to be winning baseball games. Took two of three from the Dodgers. He's got a 1.27. And then to round it out, top three, you got Pablo Lopez of the Miami Marlins with a 1.29. Who's the K leaders for pitchers across baseball? Well, at the top of that list, you got Shane McClanahan, the lefty for the Tampa Bay Rays. Absolute filth. Sits 98 miles per hour. He's got 47 strikeouts. Right behind him, you have Corbin Burns. He was the Cy Young winner in the National League last year. He's got 43 strikeouts. And the third guy, have you heard of him? Max Scherzer, 42 strikeouts. And then the whip leaders, top three. Talk about the whip leaders. How about him? Clayton Kershaw, .70. If you don't know what whip means, walks, hits, per innings pitched. And you got to love a pitcher who doesn't allow base runners. So Clayton Kershaw at the top of that list, tied with JV, Justin Verlander. Another top dog. The old dogs are showing they still got something left. Verlander with a .70. And then third, of course, Corbin Burns. Doesn't walk a lot of dudes, strikes a lot of dudes out. He's at .73. Let's look at the top hitters across baseball. Batting average, Eric Hosmer, who was in a lot of trade rumors to start the season. He's hitting 376, playing first base for the San Diego Padres. Right behind him, Manny Machado, scorching hot. Another member of the San Diego Padres hitting 374. And I've talked about his defense on this podcast before. There's not a better defensive player outside of him and Nolan Arenado. They're unreal at the position. And then to round out batting average, top three, J.P. Crawford, the local kid from Lakewood High School, 
Seattle Mariners, America's team. J.B. Crawford is hitting 363. OPS leaders across baseball. Well, you can probably guess who's at the top of that list. Mike Trout. Leading the Red Hot Angels at the top of the AL West. He's at the top of the list for OPS. Right behind him, Manny Machado again. And like I just mentioned, Nolan Arenado for the St. Louis Cardinals is right there as well. Who's the home run leaders? Who's the big boppers across baseball right now? C.J. Crone, first baseman for the Colorado Rockies, nine home runs, along with Aaron Judge, nine homers, and Anthony Rizzo, nine homers. He had a three-homer game the other day, and you want to talk about how big of a joke Yankee Stadium is? First time in MLB history, a three-homer game with the average home run traveling the distance of 350 feet. That right field porch is a joke. Is a joke. RBI leaders across baseball, Jose Ramirez, the little short, stubby third baseman for the Cleveland Guardians, 29 ribeyes. Right behind him, Nolan Arenado with 23, and C.J. Crone, the big bopper in Colorado with 23. And if you want to talk about a great baseball name, fourth leader in RBIs, or I guess three, because Arenado and C.J. Crone are tied. 22 RBIs, the Milwaukee Brewers first baseman, Rowdy Telez. Rowdy's a hell of a name. If you ever name a kid Rowdy, you're in for it. I mean, the guy's got to be an absolute maniac if his name's Rowdy. Those are the leaders across baseball so far. The categories we kind of care about. My fantasy teams aren't doing too well because I don't have anyone at the top of that list. We move on to the MLB standings. Who's hot? Who's not? Well, I already mentioned the Angels at the top of the AL West. They're cruising right now. The Yankees, they had an 11-game winning streak just broken when they lost one game to the Blue Jays, but went in 11 straight. They're 18-7 right now, two and a half games ahead of the Tampa Bay Rays and the American League East. The American League Central, not a great division. Only one team above 500 there, and that's the Minnesota Twins. 15-11, two and a half game lead there. The Angels, 17-10, hold a a one-and-a-half game lead over the Houston Astros at 15-11, the AL West. And if you watch the Angels this year, it's been a lot of fun, I guess. Yesterday, Shohei Otani, 11 strikeouts at Fenway. I think they won that game 11-0. The Red Sox have been awful. They're in last place in the American American League East, 10-18 record. 10 and 16, excuse me. Let's move on to the National League standings. The New York Mets, I believe they were down 7 to 1 in the ninth inning yesterday, came back to win 8 7 against the Phillies. They're at the top of the East right now, 19 and 9 record. No one is above 500 in that league besides them. The National League Central, you have the Milwaukee Brewers at 18 and 8. Two-and-a-half game lead over the 15-10 and 10 St. Louis Cardinals. They're going to be battling it out all year long there. And then our Dodgers, 16-7. and seven, Just took two games from the San Francisco Giants to hated once. As the Dodgers sit atop of the NL West. I was hoping to catch the Dodgers take on the Cubs today. Some afternoon Friday baseball. That's not going to happen. Shitty weather on the East Coast. Or Midwest, whatever you want to call it. Their games got rained out, so they'll play a doubleheader tomorrow. 
But the Padres stay hot, and they're 17-9, and nine, a half game out of the NL West. The Giants, 14-11. and 11. Like I said, the Dodgers took two from them. Those games were great. Mookie Betts is starting to get hot. I think a five-game winning streak over there. The Dodger pitching, they sit atop of the entire league in ERA. You got Bueller dealing, Kershaw dealing, Julio Urias. Then the bullpen, handed off to Craig Kimbrell, shutting it down. And you want to talk about one of the worst teams that baseball has to offer. Let's take a look at the Cincinnati Reds. How bad are they? How bad are the Cincinnati Reds? Well, they're 3-22 and currently. And if I was ever going to tell you guys to bet on this podcast, it's to bet against the Cincinnati Reds because they simply cannot win baseball games. They're 14 and a half games out of the Central right now. They've lost nine games in a row. They got a series coming up with the Pittsburgh Pirates. The Pirates are 10 and 14, which looks great compared to a 3 and 22 record that the Cincinnati Reds have. But man, it's not looking good for the Cincinnati Reds. And what their owner, I think, came out and said before the year was like, hey, this is what we have. This is our team. If you don't like it, who else are you going to watch? It's your only team here. Which probably not the best thing to say, but it could not be any worse for the Cincinnati Reds. Who's even the second worst team in baseball? It looks like the Tigers and Royals right now have eight wins. But still, five games ahead of the Reds' 3-22 and record. Piss poor. Anyways, I'm going to end this podcast talking about the NFL. Because NFL stays king. And this week I was kind of shocked by the reaction that the comments made by quarterback of the Tennessee Titans, Ryan Tannehill. He was asked after the NFL draft when the Titans selected Malik Willis in the third round of the draft to be a quarterback of their team of the future. They asked Tannehill, hey, is it your job to mentor Malik Willis? And I didn't think the comments were that bad. Ryan Tannehill didn't end last season great. We knew the Titans were the number one seed, I think, for the second year in a row. And he played bad against the Cincinnati Bengals. A couple of interceptions there. And the Titans have a very good team. But Tannehill is what he is. He's a middle-of-the-pack quarterback. But he said, no, it's not my job to mentor Malik, but we're going to be doing the same drills. And if he learns something, he'll learn something from me. But him saying simply that he's not there to mentor Malik Willis brought reactions from everywhere across the internet. People were bashing Tannehill. Kurt Warner, I love him. The Hall of Fame quarterback for the Rams. He said a tweet, quote, I will never understand that I'm not here to mentor the next guy mentality. So for all you young quarterbacks that need a mentor, DM me and I'll be that guy. Happy to help in any way I can. I don't know why people were up in arms. Tannehill said that Malik can learn from him just by watching him. They're in the same drills. But is Ryan Tannehill, is any quarterback going to go out of his way to mentor the guy behind him? The answer is no. Is that a part of the job? No. Tannehill's job is to be the starting quarterback of the Tennessee Titans and try to take them farther into the playoffs the next year, win a Super Bowl. 
And he hasn't had that great of playoffs. Yes, they probably drafted Malik knowing, hey, this guy could be the quarterback of the future for our team. But Ryan Tannehill, that's not his job to mentor Malik Willis. And I like what Mark Sanchez said on the Dan Patrick show. He said that question was a setup. They ask it to every quarterback after a young quarterback's drafted. Are you going to mentor him? And if you say, yes, I'm going to mentor him, Mark Sanchez said, the locker room might look at you different. The veterans in that locker room might look at you like, hey, dude, you're going to mentor this guy? Did you lose a competitive edge? You're going to mentor this guy when we got a goal ahead to win a Super Bowl and that's your job? Come on. And then he answers how any quarterback should answer. No, it's not my number one job to mentor this guy. But hey, if he learns stuff along the way, I've done my job. If anything, they should ask Malik Willis if he's going to help Ryan Tannehill get better because that's what a backup quarterback's job is. I've heard a ton of interviews around the years. And the backup quarterback's job is to get the starting quarterback ready for the next game. He's doing the work. So I can't believe they came after Ryan Tannehill like that. I'm not a Ryan Tannehill stan. I was just shocked that him saying simply, I'm not here to mentor this guy, was a thing. We've seen it. You think Aaron Rodgers was mentoring Jordan Love? After all that's gone on in Green Bay, he was pissed off that they took Jordan Love. But if Jordan Love isn't going to become a sponge and learn from Aaron Rodgers, then he's doing it wrong. It's on the young quarterback to learn from the old vet. So if Ryan Tannehill has another slip-up this year, he should straight up go to the press conference and they say, you know what, what went wrong today? Ryan Tannehill should go, you know what? I was simply just too busy mentoring the young guy. I didn't have time to read the defenses, go over the offensive scheme this week, the game plan. I just didn't have time for it. I was mentoring Malik. That's my job. So let's ease up. He said he's not there to mentor, and that's not his job to mentor the young pup. All right? That's all I got to say about that. I hope you enjoyed today's podcast. Sorry about the dog barking, but you got to love him. He's a good boy. Anyways, I'll be back on next week talking NBA playoffs, maybe some NHL playoffs. Go Kings, go. They stole one from the Edmonton Oilers. Connor McDavid, apparently the next Wayne Gretzky. The Kings aren't going to let this guy get out of the first round. So let's go. Thank you for listening to the 10 After 7 podcast. I'm your host, Michael Cody Stevenson. I'm out. Woo! Go Dodgers.